bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us. It's November 13th, and I'm Paul Dragu. Congress is staring down another government shutdown this week, and a new Speaker of the House has come up with answers that have already made at least one so-called hardliner unhappy. Also, a British author and journalist makes a compelling case for why Hamas are worse than the Nazis were. We have those stories coming up, plus a discussion with the former CEO of the John Birch Society, Art Thompson, who will be talking about term limits. But first, the U.S. carried out a new round of airstrikes against armed groups in Syria over the weekend, and Israel intensified its ground campaign as troops closed in on Gaza City's Al-Shifa Hospital. U.S. officials said Sunday's strikes were linked to dozens of recent attacks that targeted U.S. troops in Syria and in neighboring Iraq. The strikes most likely killed or injured an unknown number of Iran-backed militants. Meanwhile, despite international calls for a ceasefire and accusations that its military attacked a major hospital in Gaza, Israeli officials vowed to continue its counter-assault until Hamas is crushed and no longer in control of the area. On Saturday, the Associated Press reported that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu rejected international calls for a ceasefire unless it includes the release of all 240 or so hostages captured by Hamas in its October 7 attack. That's when Hamas broke through Israel's southern border to indiscriminately massacre more than 1,000 Jews, almost all of them civilian men, women, and children. Israel has since regrouped and mounted a barrage of nonstop military attacks, including thousands of airstrikes and, more recently, an organized ground invasion. The Hamas-run health ministry claims that Israel's counterattack has killed more than 11,000 Palestinians. That may be true, but we can't take reports from a barbaric and truly evil organization like Hamas too seriously. Over the weekend, news outlets reported that Israel attacked a major hospital in Gaza, reinforcing already existing opposition to Israel's military campaign. But Israel denied these reports. IDF spokesman Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari said in a press briefing Saturday, I want to clarify the facts. There's no siege, I repeat, no siege on Shifa Hospital. The east side of the hospital is open for the safe passage of Gazans who wish to leave the hospital. While it denied that it attacked people in and around the hospital, Israel did point out that Hamas uses medical facilities as a central base of operations, with some above-ground facilities and a network of tunnels and command posts underneath. Netanyahu said that Israel had offered fuel to Gaza's Al-Shifa hospital, which suspended operations after running out of it, but Hamas refused to take it. The prime minister said the Israeli military will stay in Gaza as long as necessary. He said Hamas will be demilitarized. There will be no further threat from the Gaza Strip on Israel. And to ensure that for as long as necessary, Israel will control Gaza security to prevent terror from there. Netanyahu also indicated that Israel opposes the return of the Palestinian Authority to Gaza after the war, a goal reportedly sought by the U.S. Israel, however, said the territory cannot be ruled by a civil authority that educates its children to hate Israel, to kill Israelis, to eliminate the state of Israel, an authority that pays the families of murderers based on the, num on the number they murder. Yesterday, Israel's prime minister appeared on Meet the Press, where he had this to say about people who protest Israel's military action in Gaza. French President Emmanuel Macron has said there is, quote, no justification for the ongoing bombing of civilians 
All over the world, you've seen protesters who are calling for an end to civilian deaths in Gaza. Can you win this war without global support? We will win this war because we have no other choice. There's no life for us. There's no future for us and our neighbors if we allow the axis of terror led by Iran, Hezbollah, Hamas, the Houthis, and their minions to dominate. We have an alliance for peace on the other side. It includes Israel, the United States, the moderate Arab states, and the rest of the civilized world. Now, it's a question, who wins? We have to win. There's confusion in many parts of the uh, of the world. I have to say, not in the United States. I'm glad to see that the the majority of the American people support Israel. They understand that we're fighting the just battle of civilization against barbarism. But those who, uh, those who protest for Hamas, you're protesting for sheer evil. There are a lot of misguided people out there who don't, don't know the facts. You're talking to people who deliberately targeted civilians, who raped and murdered women, who raped, uh, uh, who, who beheaded uh, men, who burnt babies alive, who kidnapped uh, little babies and hostage and, uh, and Holocaust survivors, you name it. These are the people that you're supporting. Now, you cannot, it's like in World War II, yeah. the Allies are fighting the Nazis, okay? Chancellor Kohl of Germany said that Hamas are the new Nazis. So imagine now, the Allies are fighting the Nazis. They've invaded France after they were attacked by the Nazis. They uh, they go into the cities of Germany. They're obviously, the Nazis are fighting within civilian quarters, and civilians get killed. In fact, many of them were killed. Millions were killed. And now, who do you protest against? Well, do you protest against the Nazis, or do you protest... Uh, against the allies. And what these people are doing is protesting for sheer evil. That's wrong. Ms. By the way, it's a condemnation. It's an indictment of higher education in some of our universities. Joining me to discuss today's stories is executive senior editor of the New American Magazine, Steve Bonta. Hey, Steve. Hi, Paul. So what do you make of uh, Netanyahu's uh, comments? He was obviously pretty, uh, he was solid in his condemnation. He called it sheer evil. I think that's what it is. What do you think of what he... Uh, oh, absolutely. And, and his, his comparison with the Nazis is, is well drawn. This is a little appreciated fact about the Middle East, is that Hitler is a widely admired figure. And many of the most important political organizations in the Middle East, and particularly these Ba'athist parties, so-called in mm -hmm. Iraq and Syria, many of these terrorist organizations, uh, draw much of their inspiration from Hitler? From Hitler and from the Nazis. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it, people are now discovering that uh, Arabic was one of the first languages into which Mein Kampf was translated. It's still a very popular book yeah. in the Middle East. It was found, for example, among the Egyptian soldiers during the Six-Day six War. And they're, they're, they're you know, yeah. the areas that, that Israel took from them at that time. So... This is something to bear in mind. Second is that there's nothing, again, as he said, there's nothing benign about Hamas. And unfortunately, you know, the Palestinian people have thrown their lot in with this group. I, I think more or less by consent, the degree, there is such a thing as, I know it's cliche to say this, but there is such a thing as an ancient ethnic hatred. I mean, I saw this uh, to some extent when I was living in Sri Lanka years ago, uh, where literally everyone who was Sinhalese hated the Tamils and vice versa. And you couldn't talk about politics. If you brought it up, their eyes would start to flash and they'd start engaging in all the, these just unbelievable hy hyperbole about what they wanted to do the other side. I, I think an instructive case appeared over the weekend before quickly being censored by the mainstream media. And that was this, this young woman who's been dubbed uh, she, she's some sort of an online influencer who's Palestinian, and she's being dubbed the Rosa Parks of Palestine. 
And she embarrassingly uh, tweeted over the weekend something to the effect that she wanted to drink the blood of Israelis and eat their skulls. Okay, so this is this is typical. <laughs> Are you sure it's not to drink the blood? Yeah, out and of their this skulls? isn't just this isn't just you know persiflage. This is what this is the kind of hatred that prevails there. And you know, for my part. It's you know, sheer evil. Like everywhere he says. you go in the world, there are you know you're going to see people that have claim claims on other countries. I mean Hitler. That's what got Hitler started. Okay, was I mean I mean if you look at what he said was well Germany was done wrong at the end of World War One. Well that's actually true. Okay, the Treaty of Versailles really uh, did did Germany wrong. They they were unjustly penalized for mm-hmm. their role in a war that pretty much everybody had equal culpability for. But this blatant example of Victor's justice. Did that justify what Hitler and the Nazis did? See, that's the issue. Yeah. Okay. It, so you it, think the parallel is that? I mean, I mean do, do Russia's the ir- Palestinians were done wrong? Yeah, with do, Israel do, moving in. Right? Yeah. I mean, you, sure. I mean, this is just irredentism and revanchism everywhere in the world. You see this. You know, China claiming Taiwan, and obviously now Russia claiming Ukraine and other places. And in every case, you know, you have you have these arguments, and 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 people who don't look into it, you know, buy into it, and then but but you end up with massive effusions of blood and horror and destruction world war ii being you know exhibit a but what's going what has been going on the the middle east for decades is exhibit b and i might add this okay so in the question of whose land does it belong to we all know that the the israelites were there long before the so-called palestinians and there were other people there before them so a question to ask might be okay so at what point does a given people's claim on a land become unjust is the Mm. date of expiration 100 years is it 500? Is it 1,000? Is it 2,000? And if so, who makes that decision? Well, obviously, it's an absurd question yeah. when you start bandying these things back and forth. We're dealing with that here, though. I, it, oh, this sure. is something we'll have to address, I think, in an episode, is this idea of colonization. Is that what this comes it, down it, to? It, it boils down to the fact that people, you know, that people are, you know, they, they won't let go of hatred, these hatred, these enmities, and they become prey for monsters like Hitler and like these Hamas leaders to stir up passions, you know, and they almost always invoke this kind of argument. Look, you were done wrong in the past, and we're the people that are going to make it right. That's really what's going on here. Yeah, and it's interesting that you said that Hitler is, uh, I guess, it's somewhat idolized in the Middle East because I'm pretty sure Hitler would not like Arabs, uh, given uh, given his ideology. Thanks, Steve. After this, we're going to discuss an interesting take by British author and journalist Douglas Murray, who makes a compelling case for why Hamas is worse than the Nazis. Here's the news, Dad. Is it, son? Is it? What about this one, Dad? Nope. It's hard to tell what's real and what's fake these days. There's just too much baloney out there. At the New American, they cut through the baloney and give me the truth. The truth is hard to find, but the New American has it. Check it out at thenewamerican.com. Journalist and British author Douglas Murray recently appeared on Piers Morgan while reporting from the Israeli border. During their conversation, Murray said Hamas terrorists are worse than the Nazis were. Listen. I can tell you one thing. The comparison between Hamas and the Nazis is insufficient. The, the thing that stri- struck me, you know, Piers, about seeing the 7th of October footage was that um, uh, even the Nazis were actually ashamed of what they did. You know, SS battalions who spent their days shooting Jews in the back of the head and pushing them into, tr- uh, into trenches 
had to get very, very drunk in the evening to uh, uh, forget what they had done. Uh, the Nazi high command famously had to sort of get around the problem of soldier morale because the soldiers knew this wasn't exactly what their lives were meant to look like either. I tell you one very big difference. If you look at the footage, the raw footage, and I really hope people don't on a wider scale have to view what I viewed the other day. Um, if they see it, they will see something that is at least as barbaric as what the Nazis did. But here's the difference. They did it with glee. They were deeply proud. You see people um, uh, trying to, you know, taking the head off a young Israeli man with a shovel and then uh, calling their parents back in Gaza and telling them, Father, Father, I've killed two Jews with my, t ten Jews with my own hands. Get mother on the phone. I want to show, tell her how great a job her son has done. You know, I, I come back to this thing. I'm not exaggerating this. It's very, very interesting and people need to realize. You had this situation with, uh, with the Nazis where they also were a genocidal anti-Semitic organization, but they tried to cover their crimes up. Hamas are actually proud of them, mm. and they've said they will do them until the whole world is clear, clear of Jews. Yeah. So I suggest we take that seriously, and I think that Israel is taking it seriously. I hope they continue to take it seriously, but I think the world should take it seriously, and that includes Britain. And when I hear British journalists, British commentators, and British politicians lecturing the Israelis on what they should do, I think, I'm sorry, this shows a failing in our country. It shows that we in Britain cannot enforce our laws. We don't even enforce our borders in Britain. It's us that is the weak link in the international security chain on this, not Israel. All right, Steve. So you're not supposed to believe that anyone is worse than the Nazis, at, at least in, in America. What do you make of Murray's uh, analysis there? Do you think he's right? Well, first of all, I mean, the, 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 for the last couple of decades, it seems like the Middle East has been engaged in this grotesquerie of, of, of ter terrorist one-upmanship. So first we had Al-Qaeda, and people thought that Al-Qaeda was the absolute face of evil. After all, they had trained fanatics willing to fly passenger jetliners into buildings and, and carry out suicide people. bombings against all this type of thing on a scale that, that no previous terror group out of the Middle East had, had accomplished. And so we thought nobody could one up. Then along came ISIS, and we all remember, you know, the, the, they cut I think heads ISIS, off on video. Yeah, I think ISIS c c carried out what maybe a dozen, maybe twenty beheadings on video, this sort of thing. Yeah. And now the, the, this with Hamas, it's sort of like, see, I can, we can do this too, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna see your beheadings, and we're gonna raise you a few boiling alive's or whatever else they did. Yeah. It's I don't mean to make light of it, but the the the, the entire region seems to be captured, caught in this, this cycle of barbarism. And let's see, what can we say about this that hasn't been said already? I, I think, first of all, some blame has to be laid at the foot of certain interpretations of Islam. Mm -hmm. you know, from the, we, we, we forget the barbarities that were perpetrated on the Christian world in centuries and millennia past. When, when Islam first burst upon the scene. I mean, in, in stark contrast to Christianity and Buddhism, you know, the other two great sort of proselytizing religions that actively seek converts, which sent missionaries out for the most part. You know, Islam from the beginning said, well, we're going to convert by the sword. You know, th this whole idea of the holy warrior is an Islamic construction. Yeah. And obviously, over the centuries, there have been certain extreme examples of this. The the, the cult of the assassins being sort of a medieval version 
of what we're seeing now. Although even they basically carried out murderers, but th this sort of sadistic glee that we're seeing now is, is, is something perhaps new. But again, if you look at what happened when Constantinople was destroyed by Mehmet the Conqueror, and taken when you know when the, when the Crusader states were were overrun, um, and and this kind of thing, uh, some some of the the atrocities that were perpetrated by the by the Turkish and and other Isl Islamic hordes that 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 entered Europe and so forth, you know conversion by the sword or mass you know what we now call genocide. I mean the entire city of Amorion, for example, which nobody's heard of today. Amorion was the second largest city in the Byzantine Empire mm -hmm. up until the eighth century. And it was surrounded and it was literally destroyed and all the people had their throats cut publicly and beheaded and was made away. It's a you know it's an archaeological site today. Yeah. So this kind of thing is not new in in the history of Islam. What we're seeing is a recrudescence yeah. of some this cruelty to women and children treating them like animals, uh, butchering them literally alive, and so forth. It's easy to forget this. Now, the question is, why do we have this after, quite frankly, a long period when the, the, we thought this sort of thing was in the past? Okay, re realistically. Yeah. That, that, yes, and we okay, have records and video of we saw what the Nazis did, and yet, with hmm. all those records, it seems like we're— the world is pretty tolerant of another anti-Semitic group that wants the genocide of an entire people. Well, yeah, no, but I think it, I think it goes deeper. I mean, the Jews and also to some extent the Americans certainly, but the but the Jews are are the focus of of this reservoir of resentment in in the Muslim world, particularly in the Middle East, for the following reason, in my opinion, and that is that if you look at most of the world. Over the last 50 years, certainly in the post-World War II period, you see in East Asia, in the People's Republic of China, even in Russia, certainly Eastern Europe, Latin America, large parts of Sub-Saharan Africa, you see conspicuous progress being made everywhere but in the Middle East, right? Which, by which I would also include the Maghreb, you know, North, North Africa. There's this, this, this swath of the world that seems to be no better off today than it was decades ago. Now, why is this a, why is this problematic for Muslims? Because in their history, the, the, the early centuries of their history is really quite astonishing. The, the military conquest by what started as a ragtag army of, of dudes coming out of the desert, literally, yeah. okay, one, of the, one of the most in, inhospitable places in the world for people to live, let alone construct a, situation, uh, a civilization. Those people emerged out of the desert armed with little more than scimitars and their, 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 the, you know, the fanaticism, the fervor of their newborn faith, and conquered in the space of a few years, a few decades, much of the civilized world. They destroyed um, you know, the Byzantine, much of the Byzantine Empire. They took over North Africa. They, they conquered Visigothic Spain. And but for the appearance of certain figures like Charles the Hammer, might have conquered France and so forth. And the ensuing centuries, they they continued to grow and spread forth. And so this this is a, something that, that historians have a hard time accounting for. Muslims, of course, have a ready explanation: God was on their side; they were God's warriors. And of course, the, the you know the great Islamic, the Caliphate civilization of the, of the Middle Ages was you know quite significant in terms of scientific advances and all, all the rest of this stuff. Yeah. So we don't have time to go into that. Anyway. So that was the explanation. This is the true religion. God's on our side. We're rapidly overwhelming the heathens and the Christians and so forth. And then all of a sudden that fizzled. And now we're seeing all those wicked heathen nations 
you know, the, the, the Christians, the Chinese, the Japanese, uh, you, you know, everyone people, but them, the th- everyone but them have been have been had a part of this. And, and so this has caused frustration. The solution has been that's Blame been offered up has been it's because now God is punishing us because we're no longer sufficiently pious. And so movements like Hamas and ISIS and all the rest in part are being justified. Well, this is a return to the to the strict, you know, piety of the old days, the Sharia law and all, all that kind of thing. Certainly the, the whole yeah. Islamic Republic of Iran is, is a reflection of this. Thank you, Steve. Sure. All right, folks. The New American just released our latest collector's edition bookazine. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. This polished collector's edition includes articles on a number of topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, financial self-reliance, the importance of community, and many other topics. The authors are experts in their fields. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order copies at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop or by calling our office at 800-727-8783. Next up, it's government shutdown season again. Will anything be different this time? Freedom is the cure. You're dead on. This is the largest experiment performed on human beings in the history of the world. The more you know. What they're doing is they're forcing vaccination on people. And I believe they are killing people with this vaccination. The freer you are. It's murder. They are basically murdering people in hospitals. The all-cause mortality we know is now higher in the vaccinated group than the unvaccinated group. Stay informed on the issues that affect freedom. Get a subscription to The New American today. TheNewAmerican.com Welcome back, folks. Let's look at our final story. It's government shutdown season again. And the latest self-imposed funding deadline for Congress is looming at the end of this week. The issue is the time dishonored practice of passing omnibus continuing funding resolutions packed with thousands of pages of pork. Instead of operating under a budget and passing discrete spending bills limited to particular areas of funding. This absurd practice of passing massive omnibus spending measures that no one actually reads has been happening for three decades. And it has led to the runaway spending, exploding deficits, and towering national debt that threatened to bankrupt the country. And the sentiment among Republicans until recently has been that we need to do something about it, but in a way that doesn't make Democrats or their legions of media shields too angry. Now, there's a new sheriff in the House, and that's Speaker Mike Johnson, who, unlike his fallen predecessor, Kevin McCarthy, is said to be a hardened MAGA partisan. But with only three weeks in office and already staring a new government shutdown in the face, Johnson's proposed solution to the problem of continuing resolutions is to pass not one, but two CRs, each with different expiration dates. Under Johnson's plan, some government programs, including housing, energy, agriculture, and veterans programs, would only be funded until January 19th, while others, like the Department of State and Defense, would be funded until February 2nd. In a tweet, Johnson said, This two-step continuing resolution is a necessary bill to place House Republicans in the best position to fight for conservative victories. 
The bill will stop the absurd holiday season omnibus tradition of massive loaded up spending bills introduced right before the Christmas recess. Although the bill doesn't include funding for Ukraine, Israel, or the U.S. border, as requested by the Biden administration, it is still opposed by many in the GOP, like Texas Congressman Chip Roy, who tweeted sarcastically, my opposition to the clean CR just announced by the Speaker to the House cannot be overstated, funding Pelosi-level spending and policies for 75 days for future promises. Meanwhile, Democrats are full of their usual swagger. They're confident that Republicans will ultimately back down and look foolish as they always have in the past. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said in a dismissive statement, this proposal is just a recipe for more Republican chaos and more shutdowns, full stop. We'll soon find out if the Mike Johnson-led House is any different than previous versions of it. The government is set to run out of money by the end of this Friday, and President Biden is already preparing government workers for the likelihood of a shutdown. Okay, Steve, so we anticipated this last time and they had averted it. Are they uh, not going to avoid a government shutdown this time? Who knows, Paul? <laughs> I mean, I, I, we, we can devoutly hope, nay pray, that there will be a shutdown this time. And you, moreover... You, you look so happy when you I, say that. I do. That. Shutdowns, Shutdowns are... Th that's my Christmas You're such present. an extremist. I am an extremist. Yeah, I, I suppose so by today's standards. But An early Christmas gift. Here, here's the thing. What's needed is not just a, sh a selective shutdown. And by I mean, I mean we, we need to shut down all portions of the government that are not authorized by the Constitution. Okay? So for starters, we advocate a shutdown. We don't call I mean, shutdown sounds scary. <laughs> but that's really what we stand for. When we talk about shrinking the size of government, that means, in effect, shutting down lots of alphabet soup agencies. It means defunding lots and lots of, um, pro, you know, unnecessary programs, constitutionally illegitimate programs. And, of course, the platoons of bureaucrats mm -hmm. that, that administer them. So, yeah, that is, that, that is a shutdown. Now, the problem with all shutdowns past has been that they inevitably expire. I think the longest we've had in recent history was know, three weeks or something like that. And during that entire time, we were subjected to just a, a withering blast of propaganda and hand-wringing from the left, from the media, of course, mm -hmm. which, which are big, big government fans, one yeah. and all. And, of course, all of their allies in the Democratic Party. Oh, the shutdown. The Meanwhile, Americans, of course, during this whole period, we, we go on with our lives the only people who are affected, of course, are all the people who have their noses in the trough, in the government trough. And that means that those it's people quite a number bit of people. Though. Yeah, they number in the many millions, of course. So so yeah. it is a critical juncture. But the real problem is when the shutdown ends, little remarked in the press is that all of those things that were shut down not only reopen, but that but all, all those pay. people get a, get the back pay. And the, so yep. there's no net gain whatsoever. Exactly. And then the press and the Democrats, or do I repeat myself, and some some of their also fellow travelers in the Republican Party, I'm going to say, you see, now that was a waste of time, and you people are acting like buffoons, and it's time to govern responsibly. And by govern responsibly, of course, they mean continue to spend money like drunken sailors. Well, Steve, let me ask you something, because I was reading a, a pop culture uh, writer, and that's like that's his thing. And he was he mentioned modern monetary theory, and we've discussed mm. this over and over. And so... The way he wrote it out is like he's, he's saying those people who think 
that there's a parallel, that there's a comparison between run, how you run your home and the country, they're, they're idiots because they don't understand modern monetary theory. And the idea behind it is that the only thing that matters apparently is inflation. And that seems to be the way they're operating. They don't, maybe that's not why they care. It's the reason why they don't care about the deficit because it doesn't matter because you can print more money. And so long as you don't have the inflation happen, everything's well. Everyone gets paid. All the programs continue and whatnot. What is wrong with that? Okay, well, first of all, I mean, modern monetary theory is sort of warmed over Keynesianism with some added wrinkles. It, it, it amounts to the same old Keynesian and socialist heresies to the effect that, A, the government debt doesn't really matter in the same way that private debt does because we owe it to ourselves. B, the most important thing that drive the engine that drives the economy is not savings but consumption, mm -hmm. and they invoke all these these different things like you know velocity of circulation, all yeah, this yeah. stuff, all of which is calculated to to support to, to to lend continued support to the notion that whatever we do, we can never go back to the old days when people save money and when money itself was in the form of things like gold and silver whose supply could not be manipulated by the state. It's all, you know, a, a, amounts to a vast plea on behalf of the fiat money system. Now, modern monetary theory has arisen because in defiance of all predictions, including a lot, you know, people like Ludwig von Mises and Murray Rothbard and Ron Paul, uh, Peter Schiff and many other economists, have been predicting for decades that there's going to be ultimately a massive collapse and because of this, the, the, all this inflationary money that's being created and all, all the rest of that. Okay? Yeah. And it hasn't happened. And so modern monetary theory is, well, well obviously it hasn't so happened. So they're all like, nah, 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 boo-boo. Right. And, and, and they're, 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 what they conclude is, well, because it hasn't happened yet, ergo, it never will happen. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the one thing that they're maybe half correct about is that the, the analogy with household debt is not exact because if you fail to pay your debts as a householder, there's a higher authority that will come and force you ah. to pay or send you to jail or whatever. But there's there no is no such higher authority the with the U.S. government. There is, however, an, author an, an ultimate authority that sets limits on how much borrowing, printing, and spending any government can engage in. And that's called the people who actually buy government debt. Okay? Mm -hmm. Because it's not really true that in a fiat monetary system we have we create money out of nothing no no we create money out of debt that's what you know what what, what g edward mm -hmm. griffin once called the mandrake mechanism and, and and it's a wonder to behold but it requires it's like people, sorcery it requires people who are willing to purchase that debt including foreign governments or anyone else. I mean, you can buy government debt. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. I can buy it, or some billionaire in Japan can buy it. But that's changing now, isn't it? Well, the, not buying the debt. Well, that's like right. And, and I mean, a few years ago, for example, in the European economic crisis, Italy was particularly hard pressed because, you know, the question becomes what determines the interest rates that are offered for these for these new issuances of government debt. If the buyers refuse, if they if they demand higher interest rate, else they won't buy the debt. Then the interest rates go up. And that's what happened. was happening with Italy for, for a while. And it will assuredly happen to us as well. So there are limits set upon it. Another constraining factor w which allows the United States to get away with stuff that the Argentinas and the Zimbabwe's of the world can't get away with is that we can export a portion of our inflation. Other countries, I just came back from a country, Ecuador, which actually uses the U.S. dollar now. Their currency collapsed in the 90s, and now they use our. So we have these, these, these valves mm. that can release some of that pressure. Yeah. But in the long run, 
the consequences will be just as ruinous as they were for Argentina, for Weimar Germany, and all the rest. We just don't know when that's going to happen. And, that's and, right. And until it happens, they're going to... These uh, advocates of modern monetary theory are going to keep saying this is the best way to do things. There's no reason to worry um, about. And so, uh, yeah, I found that interesting. And that's the kind of person that I think people read and, and they, they're inf uh, influenced by. Thanks, Steve. Next up, the former CEO of the JBS joins us. In 1988, the John Birch Society produced a documentary so predictive, it's as though they had a time machine. Out of Control, Immigration, Invasion was produced and hosted by investigative reporter William F. Jasper and looks at the growing problem of unrestricted illegal immigration that, in 1988, already saw upwards of 10 to 20 million illegal aliens within the borders of the U.S. Unknown agents from around the world using the southern border as easy entry. Certainly some are innocent families escaping hardship, but also certainly some are criminals, potentially terrorists. Is it not appropriate that there be some criteria for the entry of any sovereign nation? Why should the U.S. be different than Canada, Germany, Russia, Japan, or every other country on the planet? Out of control. Immigration invasion. Watch this time capsule of prescient wisdom at thenewamerican.com slash outofcontrol. Welcome back, folks. So I'm joined by the former CEO of the John Birch Society, Art Thompson. We're always happy to have you on. Art, today you're going to discuss, um, you're going to make a case for why, uh, or at least help people understand why uh, we should oppose term limits and how to help others understand the problem with term limits. So have at it, sir. Well, the thing is that a lot of people uh, look at false solutions for problems. And uh, when you're trying to discuss things with people, uh, one of the things that you don't want to do is to get in an argument with them, if you can help it. Mm -hmm. Because why are you talking to them to begin with? They're, there's somebody that you want to change their mind, yeah. a friend, whatever. So you don't want to argue. You the want goal to, is persuasion. Yeah. And, and you want to smile, be a nice guy, because that's what you're trying to, you're trying mm -hmm. to be helpful. Really. Yeah. You don't want to tell them you're an idiot. Let me tell you the <laughs> truth. Okay. Got it. Yeah, that's right. Take note folks. But one of the things that people don't realize is that term limits is a, is actually in a, a fundamental attack against, uh, uh, a, a free country. Hmm. Now let me explain. You can ask this question of an individual and, and ask them if they believe in free open elections where the voter has the liberty to vote for whom they please. And that is term limits, limiting that freedom. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize it. And so that's one of the questions to ask somebody. And also ask them what their reason for, for supporting term limits is. Yeah. Well, term limits is one of the two main agendas that is proposed by Convention of States. So that's when true. they say we need a constitutional convention, one of the answers they propose is if we have this, one of the things we can do to rein in our out-of-control government is apparently term limits. Now, our simple answer is we already have term limits. Yes, they're you know, built right into the Constitution. You can vote them out, right? That's correct. So find out why they support term limits, and then that tells you a little bit more about how to uh, proceed. Most of the time, it's uh, government corruption or uh, unconstitutional legislation and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Which will end if we get someone else in that office, right? Well, that's, that's the whole idea. So the next thing to ask them is, 
has term limits helped with the presidency? Has that cut down on corruption? Well, <laughs> is Biden corrupt? <laughs> <laughs> he had been for 40 years. Yeah. And so uh, it, it cuts down on uh, anti, uh, uh, unconstitutional government. Well, other, you could say that maybe Reagan and maybe Trump, but even they even participated in unconstitutional government. So the two years that are limited to these uh, this this office has not really cut down on either the corruption or constitutional or un- unconstitutional voting. Yeah. Are you saying we shouldn't have term limits on the presidency? I'm not saying we should or shouldn't, but uh, I think the people should be free to vote for whom they wish. Mm. That's simple. That's liberty, right? Yeah. And, and another thing is to ask them if, if it's worked in California. The governor and the legislature is are term limited. Yeah. Now is California the paragon of 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 uh, liberty and and constitutional law and and all of that, or well, is it something else? Well, California is not the only state that has that. I mean, my former state in Montana, the governor termed out, and it, everyone went happy, and they have a better governor now. So I bet you Montanans would be like, well, we're glad that Bullock turned out. Well, the term-limited thing will go up and down, you know, but what really determines it is uh, the voter. The voter determines who's going to be in there, whether it's candidate A or B. Yeah. They can be the same, actually, from, you know, successive uh, elections. So whether or not a, a person is term limited out will not change the, the outcome. What changes the outcome is the voter himself. Mm-hmm. So what is the solution? The solution is educating the voter to understanding yeah. the principles on which our country were based on. And so that's the thing. So, it always comes down to this education thing, uh, Always. Art. Man, if only someone would have started an organization (laughs) to focus on education. (laughs) Well, nobody wants to work. You know, work is the worst four-letter word in the language, you know, work. You old cranky timers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But people have to assume the responsibility to actually work to change the the situation, Mm -hmm. not the system. And, And changing the situation is getting out there and educating people on the Constitution, the yeah. Declaration of Independence, the subtleties that appear in the Declaration. Uh, you know, there are things uh, which we have established as American exceptionalism. No other country has. No other country has a belief on on God being the center of yeah. our— of our And the uh, giver of rights. Exactly. And, and so uh, no other country has a Bill of Rights. Now, they have something that they— twist and turn and mm. promote as a, as, as a substitute. Yeah. But if you really look at it, they can't talk a, against the, the, uh, the uh, Supreme leader. Yeah. Or, or the government. I mean, the, I think a few years ago when all that stuff with the truckers was happening, we were reporting that we realized, or the Canadians didn't realize, or they ended up realizing that their charter, their bill of right charter or whatever it is said that you have your freedoms until the government decides that, right. you know, it's better that you don't. Uh, and most and none of them have, have a guarantee of uh, gun ownership for the individual. Oh, that's certainly not the case in anywhere else. Anywhere else. No other country has local police. Now, they may have a hybrid of mm-hmm. national and local local yeah. offices and everything, but they're all controlled by the national. Yeah. 
And so there are all sorts of different things that, that go on that makes, makes the United States the exception. Mm-hmm. And those things need to be understood by the voters because they're not getting them in the schools. Yeah. And instead, they're getting hate, hate the Jews. <laughs> Gee, yeah. Or, or support socialism, uh, Marxism. I, hey, I've been in the classrooms. Instead of George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or the current president being up there on, in the portrait at the front of the room, you got Che Guevara. Really? Oh, or, or some other communist leader. You'd be amazed crazy. at how many high schools I've been in where that's been the case. Yeah. Well, I, th- again, this is something that our members, John Birch Society members, work so hard to help people understand, especially in the context of the Constitutional Convention. Because, again, that comes it comes down to that's one of the two main things they're saying they're, they're pitching. Now, another problem that we have with, with term limits is that it tends to sometimes it can get rid of the good ones, right? Like That's correct. So we have a couple of good ones that seems to be rising. We talk about them quite frequently, you know. Unfortunately, there's still too few, so we can still count them on, on our two hands and whatnot. But that's more than we used to have. So term limits would cut into that, wouldn't it? Well, into the good ones. It would get rid of... Uh... Massey, for instance. Yeah, Massey's been there for a while, hasn't he, yes. Kentucky? It, and Biggs would be terminated. Rand Paul's been there for a while. Rand Paul, yeah. all of those sorts Mike of Mike Lee, I think, has been there for, for a little bit, That's too. That's true. Yeah. So, you know, it get, the good gets thrown out with the bad. Yeah, and, and those are rarer. Those are rare, harder to find than the ones that eventually turn into swamp creatures, aren't they? Yes, and the thing is that you need experience because you're when you are elected into Congress, you are elected into a maze. And that maze is controlled by the people who are employed as staff people. And they will run things. And, and the newcomer is, is sitting there wondering what's going on. Yeah. It takes time for somebody new to really get their their sea legs, so yeah. to speak. Well, don't the folks in the permanent government, it sounds like what you described, don't they call the uh, the senators and the representatives and even the White House, the, the presidents, as, uh, what is it, like temporary or passing through or whatever? They see themselves as as the government. Oh, yes, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, and and you'd be surprised that, that I've met with staff people in, in Congress, even in locked rooms, mm-hmm. because they're afraid of, the majority of the staff members hearing what I'm we're going wow. to be talking about. So, so that tells you who's really in charge, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Oh, geez. Thanks, Art. Thank you for joining us again. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the New American Daily. And if you don't have one already, make sure to get a subscription to the New American Magazine print edition. You can do so online or you can call our office. Now, enjoy the rest of your day and join us again tomorrow for another episode.